Welcome back to this week's episode of Toys on Tab. We're stoked to bring on Feral Foundry, honestly an incredible toy maker that is blending 3D and resin. He has hints of other dimensional creatures. He's got HP Lovecraft hints in this work, and all of it just works perfectly between balancing his mech creatures and those little gooey looking guys. They're so good. If you want more of Toys on Tap, you can follow us on all socials at Toys on Tap. If you want to support the show, please like, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get podcasts. Now let's get to this episode of Toys on Tap. Dude, I'm stoked to have you on. You've been one of those artists that I've seen and just watched um, as we've started Toys on Tap and uh, and just watching your work and then seeing it on Toys Alive and then seeing it pop up on my feed. So I'm stoked to talk all things Feral Foundry today. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful for the, for the invite. Honestly, it's, it's one of those ones where like, and people, some people know about me, but to the general world, I am nothing. Like I'm, I'm still like 500 followers on Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm just sort of, you know me or you don't, and there is nothing in between. <laughs> so, past <laughs> was really, I was, yeah, that's that's a a blessing. So thank you. Which is like the most insane thing, right? Instagram, it it does this weird thing where people like you that have incredible talent and stuff somehow sometimes get buried and I will never understand how that's even possible. Like it just does not make sense to me at all. I think, I mean, I, I could definitely play the game better. Um, <laughs> I don't really record videos and I know Instagram wants that. Yeah. Um, but outside of the U S makes it a bit difficult as well. Cause it means that I'm posting at like non-optimal times um i probably don't network the way i should so like it's it, it's it's sort of a mystery but also i could try harder and i haven't so i'm not gonna say like oh i'm so forlorn <laughs> you know like i get it <laughs> yeah well you know what after this we're gonna get you more followers we're gonna boost that up that's what this is for thank you any little helps <laughs> of course of course uh i'm stoked that you're on so can you before we start anything please introduce yourself tell us what you do Sure. Uh, my name is Ben. I run the Feral Foundry from here in the UK. So the idea is sort of uh, uh, toys based on uh, Lovecraftian ideas. The main thing, one of the main things I do are, are Shoggoths. So these protoplasmic uh, cosmic horrors that are eternally shape-shifting. They're whatever they want to be. Um, but instead of going fully down the horror route, I wanted to go more down the 90s aesthetic. So I grew up with stuff like Mini Boglins. And that totally shaped my view on what things should look like. So little little lumps of brightly colored rubber. Um, so I, I do that. So I do like cosmic horror with uh, a bit of a, a 90s aesthetic. Uh, more recently, I've moved into doing stuff like little art pins as well, just to flex my, uh, my, my artistic fingers. And even more recently, I've started making what I call Project Kraken robots. So they're like uh, little mostly either amphibious or fish themed robots uh and the, the sort of the fluff the story around them is that this fictional feral foundry made and tests these shoggoths to try and further science and mankind and there comes a point in which they realize these things are more intelligent than us we should probably work together so they work together to make these robots to put out into the world and that's where i'm at now um in my day job i i uh i run uh 
a laser cutter and I, I run a casting department in East London. Um, so this is just sort of a natural extension of the stuff I wanted to be doing. And, you know, I, I do it all day for everyone else. And now this is what I do for me. So, yeah, so incredible. And we're going to talk about all the work because I have so many questions on how you balance different ideas and everything. But before we get to that, we got to talk about how you got into toys, what it was like growing up. Did you have a lot of toys? All that stuff. So let's open that can of worms. Sure. Okay. Uh, so I'm the youngest of, uh, I've got I've got three older siblings that are a lot older than me. So they're like 20 years, 10 years, and eight years older than me. So I'm the super baby. So I grew up with a load of inherited toys. So I had a bunch of original Star Wars action figures and stuff. I had the, the aforementioned mini Boglins that came out like five years before I was born. Um, and, and all this stuff. And because my siblings were so much older than me, I spent a lot more time by myself playing with stuff. Um, I'd always wanted to be an artist of some kind. Um, my, my mother was a sculptor in her younger days, so she always encouraged that in me. Um, and so I always, I, I just always wanted to make stuff. I never really focused until like 10 years ago on what I really wanted to do. So I wanted to make cartoons when I was really little and then I kind of didn't have an entry way in for that. So then I did a lot of painting Then I wanted to get into comics, but I didn't have the attention span to get really good at illustration. Um, and then I, I, I studied uh, animation at university. Um, and that was the first time I really felt like, oh, I'm not bad at this. I could do this a bit more. Yeah, uh, It's where I met the, uh, my fiance. She's an illustrator now as well. So that we, we sort of have this creative life together. We can bounce stuff back and forth. She does all like the header cards and stuff. Um, but it was, I'd finished uni and I was freelancing and I was bad at it. So I was a bad animator, but I just managed to get paid for it for about six months. Um, I got to a stage where I could make stuff in 3D, but I, I couldn't texture it. I couldn't really render it. And it, it's not really a saleable skill. Well, it, it is now. It wasn't then. <laughs> 3D printing was pretty primitive 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I got a job because I needed to get any job or move back up north home. And that kind of felt like, you know, it wouldn't it would have been fine, but it felt like failing. And I wanted to stay here where I'd sort of built a life and I had a girlfriend and all this stuff. Um, so I just applied loads of stuff. And the first job I got was in this workshop um, doing like laser cutting and stuff. And a couple of years after that, they they were trying to get into 3D printing. And so I had a background in in 3D stuff, so I kind of could bridge that. And then from that, they sent me on a casting course, and it all just blew up. It was like, oh, my God, I can make stuff. And I'd always played with Sculpey things, but for the first time, it felt like I can make a thing and then make loads of things. And it just sort of opened my eyes. And actually, I, if I'd known about the toy community back then, I may have got into it, but I had no idea. So I, I, I had this sort of the the prototype idea of what i do now and i made like some cthulhu heads and stuff and i was like oh they could be fridge magnets they could be paperweights but what are they mm-hmm. uh and i see an audience so i chit canned it and then uh a couple of years ago through my job i started working uh i, I do the cat the resin castings for the droid foundry so half of this stuff is 3d printed and half of this stuff is 3d printed and then cast in in urethane the, the simpler stuff like the sentries and stuff mm-hmm. i do um and he's just, he's become, you know, quite a friend, the guy who runs it. And one day I was talking about the, the sculpts I did, and he was like, well, just do it, try it, see if there's an audience. And I did. And then that kind of just, it just ended up sort of rolling out. And then, you know, a couple of people noticed it. And then I think a friend of a friend introduced me to Crumb, who pushed my stuff really hard, uh, as he does. <laughs> and then it just sort of, and um, I don't know, it got to a point where, 
because I, I mean, I don't want to do this for a living because that would be like, I don't know. I think the moment that this becomes my day job, it, I'd hate, I'd stop doing it. But it's my art is at a place where it pays for itself. So it doesn't cost me anything to fool around with materials to get new machines and stuff like that. Um, and I reached that about a year ago and I'm just trying to sort of maintain that and push it ever since. Um, yeah. Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's so good. You know, starting an animation, I don't know if you have you ever heard of the movie Nine? Yes, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Yeah. So it's like these little creatures that are made and they like run around and stuff. I envision it's crazy that you said animation because I envision the like the project cracking those things in that type of an animation setting where there's some cuteness yeah. to it, but it's very rugged. And it like yeah. it feels so good to see that. But that's like yeah, just insane. So like seeing that you like always had a maker mentality is crazy. And it like breathes yeah. into this work now. Well, it's it's cool because it was always I know it, it, it feels I mean, I I think it'd be easy to say that now, but it feels like it was always headed to this because mm. I just I make stuff want to make stuff. And um, there's a lot of friends and stuff I have who don't make things. And I think the, the general impression of that is whenever you make something cool, they're like, oh, why don't you make a million of these and sell them? It's like, because that's not why I did it. I did it to make something. I didn't do it to make something as a product. Um, and now the way I work is just sort of I can I can hop from idea to idea and put something on the shelf for a while uh, and then come back to it later. And But I've always done that. Like, I've always had a million projects on. Most of them didn't get this far. Um, but... You know, I, I, it's just how my brain works. I like to be able to dive between things, and I just like to feel like I'm being creative and making stuff. Like, if I don't have a project on where I'm making something, I I feel a little bit at sea and lost and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's just so nice that I found a, <clears throat> a like I, I just such a perfect avenue for it. Because if if I didn't have the toy community, what I'm making is just stuff. <laughs> and I was at a market about a month ago, and someone asked me like, oh what are these? What do they do? And I was like, they are to be enjoyed and that's it. And, um, you know, 10 years ago, that question would have crippled me, but now I'm like, it's art. I don't care. It's art toys. It's great. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's really, it's really nice. And and from that, you know, there are a lot of other stuff I can jump into. It lets me like tell little stories and just the descriptor text. It, it lets me learn new techniques. I've just started using an airbrush in the last six months and I was terrified of touching the things before that. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's such a and it's such a nice community of people who share ideas and concepts and methods and stuff. And it's just, I don't know. It felt like I found my tribe as soon as I as soon as I found this because I've been I've, I've always been doing surrounding things and just being able to focus it so good. Yeah, so, yeah. I think the you're hitting on such an important part. Like just to be able to make something, it doesn't really matter what it is. Just anything yeah. breathes life into you. Yeah, right. It, yeah, exactly. It is my my lifeblood is the ability to make stuff, and I'm in such a lucky position that I can I can do that. Yeah. So I always tell people when they when I have sold stuff and they're like, "Oh, what is this?" and it's really hard to describe. Like, this is a toy, but don't play with it like you used to play with your ones when you were a kid because you'll break it really quickly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but the thing is, I, th I think I if someone doesn't get it, they don't. They don't need to get it. That's okay. They can move on with their lives. But people who do get it and it resonates with, we can chat and we can get on and we can share ideas and stuff. And that's that's one of the best bits. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, it is. I. Yeah. I absolutely love the idea that like 
if if I had one of your pieces and it's sitting on my shelf, it's this thing that like I get to craft whatever I want that goes along with that. I get to like I'm a grown man. I'm not going to play with that toy, but I know that if I ever wanted to, I could. And it's there. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Yeah. They no, sit I'm... in my office and uh I mean I, I work in a industry that has nothing to do with toys. So I, I one day I was sitting in my office and I had I had just finished my shift and I was like, oh, okay, now I need to like my toys are in my office. So I was like, I need to organize some stuff. And my boss walked by and I was on the ground just surrounded by toys. And he was like, <laughs> This is unreal. What are you doing? And I was like, I'm just organizing my office, but it's after hours, so leave me alone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like the most oh, compromising position as a man child. Um, <laughs> so as you go in, you get this job to stay where you are and you kind of click through. When's the time that you learned, oh, I can now make this like this is the extension of what I do for a day job? How did what clicked that? That's a good question. Um, so yeah, it was it was literally the only job who would hire me at the time because I, I wasn't really qualified for much. The the, the link was it was mostly a laser cutting role, mm-hmm. and because I'd done this digital work before, I know Illustrator, which means I can use a little bit of AutoCAD and I can get stuff ready to cut. Um, they didn't know that I learned or well, Illustrator from my fiance the day before the interview, but they don't need to know that. That's all they do now. But it's you know nine years later, no one cares. Um, Pretty early on, honestly, I got there, and originally it was it was uh, split between the shop, which sells model making supplies, and the workshop. It was like a three day, two day thing, and it's a shop. You know, it's a job in a shop. It's it's whatever. It was fine. It was like you know, I'll do this for as long as I've got to, and then when something else comes up, and then as soon as I had my time in the workshop, I'm like, this is ah, like just just even even though it's being paid to make someone else's stuff, just the the act of being able to fix stuff for people and make it work. I don't know. It just it's. So it, it, immediately I had the thought of how can I how can I use this because I had no idea and it, it took years to make anything you know remotely <laughs> that anyone would want to look at um, but there was there was immediately the surge that I I have these tools because the thing is I it's weird I was I hated technology class in uh, in in secondary school which you'd call like uh, shop yeah because um, it was all these old men <laughs> who had these old processes. And hated it because I, I don't know what their their dream was, but their dream was not to teach a bunch of fifteen year olds who didn't care. And so, like, they had a laser cutter, they had like some really primitive plotting technology, but they didn't know how to use it. Um, so it was just these old guys in Yorkshire who hated everyone was there. And like, oh, so I just learned to draw a cube, and then you're done, and you could go home. And it was awful. And then so suddenly to be in this environment, but with people who actually liked doing it, was just I don't know, it was eye opening, and it, it kind of kind of wish i'd gone into props and making stuff before um but then i kind of came to the realization like well screw it i'll just do it now so <laughs> yeah there's nothing um, worse than a bad teacher when their explanation on how to do yeah. something is just to do it and that's that doesn't work yeah and to punish it and to punish you not for like not for deliberately being a problem but for getting it wrong yeah, and I think that's a really common thing. I remember uh, my my best friend was he he got detention a bunch of times because he was not doing well in German class, and his mom had to come in and be like, "What is wrong with you? You're punishing him 
for being stupid effectively and they just took that away right away they're like okay well, we won't do this anymore and it's like yeah why why your job is to impart knowledge and and get people excited about it why are you even here if you take no joy from the subject and you don't want to see that joy in someone else like making it work is the last thing you should do um yeah i don't know i think i think it's way too common as well because when you get that because you really remember the really good teachers there was a couple of art teachers who got me back on track with art and you know, I to this day I still think about those guys because they they changed everything. Honestly, it was the one class that I really looked forward to going to every day. Um, and yeah, it's so important. And it's I I yeah, I just wonder how many people had a potentially amazing career dashed because of one crappy teacher. Yeah, you know, I had an art class in when I went to high school, which I'm assuming is that secondary school for you. We have we have primary and secondary. We used to have like a middle one as well in the seventies, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I went to high school, and two art classes were required, uh, and they were just called art one and art two. Um, <laughs> and I remember art one was just shitty. It was like draw a pyramid, learn how to shade this pyramid, draw a sphere. I didn't want to do any of that. I'm like mm-hmm. I could not function in that class. But I knew that in the on like where I was drawing in her classroom on the side, there was a uh, screen printing setup, And I was like, oh, that I want to do that. And she said, um, OK, art three is that in graphic design, but you have to get through the first two. And I said, yeah, I said, OK, I got it. Uh, I struggled. I pulled maybe a C in art one and art two was like realism draw this person sitting here draw an eyeball draw and i failed and i could not do it and because i was being punished that i couldn't do that i never stepped into digital work and never did screen printing and i hate it it sucks right yeah we, yeah it's just so many although, although i love those art teachers i never we all we only ever did fine art because that was what they did <clears throat> so like there were previous years who'd done sculpture and stuff like that and digital art but those teachers had gone so we never got to do it. And like, it's it's good that I took the elements that I liked and did them my way. Because otherwise, man, yeah, it just, yeah, I don't know. It sucks. Yeah, it was it like, it's so heartbreaking to look back at it. And you're like, man, you might have been a good teacher. But in like the 60s and 70s. Now, right. I don't, I don't want you as a teacher. Yeah. And it must be terrifying to like, know how to use a bandsaw really well. And then a laser cutter gets invented. Like, well, you know, <laughs> I've got to learn all this extra stuff. And it's not just the artwork and the machine. It's the artwork. It's the interface. It's making sure that I maintain this thing. It's knowing about node count. It's knowing about how to get the optimal results and tape it up. It's knowing about the materials. And you'd probably just go, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's not worth it. 10 years from retirement, I'm just going to give it. Like I get how it happens, but it is a shame. It is yeah. such a shame. And once you realize you wanted to, like, this was the extension of your job, how did you, like, settle on that style? Like, that is, you have a very specific style. And I think that, like, people forget how hard it is to find your style. And you have settled on what you got. And it's perfect. And it breathes you and probably your creative heart in that. So how did you get to that point? Uh, you know, I couldn't tell you an exact time, but there was, I don't know, I think just always doing stuff when you're always doing something, you'll start to see these patterns in it. So like, if I'm sketching, I will always have like these pronounced, like 
upper eyelids and brows, and like everyone's got an underbite, mm-hmm. which means that then in sculptures, anything with a slightly humanoid thing has a pronounced lip and will have a big eye with like a... And then you just kind of extend from there. I, I don't know, just finding out what works. Like, my, I, I love my Shoggoths, but if you look at the original ones, they are not the same as the new ones. So like the Protos, which is like the first one I ever made and was happy with. It's just a simple little blob with a couple eyes in it. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Tap to bring you this. Meanwhile, the galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have a engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my! We're doomed! Wait! Salvation! Hooray! We've saved DLV2! Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys! Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE! If you compare that to the most recent thing, I'm, uh, I'm launching this blind box thing. They're called, uh, they're going to be Shoglings. And they are so much more, not necessarily more detailed. If anything, they're probably less detailed, but they're so much more consistent and they look more like an illustration brought to life than an experimentation in clay. So I think it just kind of came naturally. There is some stuff I've always just done and I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> Clearly like some cartoons and stuff I, I watched as a kid, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's it's still growing because there's still new stuff I'll try. Um, like in the last few, I've, I've started incorporating more sort of 3D print piece, uh, pieces in. Because um, I, I meant to do this earlier on, but I never really got to it. Like there's one of my pieces called Shaw Thing that's like a big bottle of rum mm-hmm. with a, a clear broken bottle on it. And I was I spent ages trying to make an actual keg so that I could do it. And I just couldn't get it to look how I wanted. So in the end, I just got some clay and I just went at it. And luckily it worked out and it's very organic and cool. Um, but now that I'm a bit better at that, my more recent ones like uh, Hive Mind, the living apiary. And I actually, I, I couldn't, I knew that I wanted these exact lines to bleed into the organic form. And the only way to do that was to, to 3D print it, you know, make an actual hard, hard edged model. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's, if you look at some, my mom still has drawings from when I was a kid and you can still see some elements of that style in there. So I think it's just, just always doing something. You'll naturally find something along the way. Um, but I don't know. It's hard to point to one specific point. Um, but there was definitely, after I made the first couple of Chagos, I was like, this is cool. I wonder if I can do this a few more times. And I think I released the 21st <laughs> Chagos sculpt last month. So... I've still got a bit of steam in me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, your work, the thing that I'm so interested in is how you're balancing almost two different like forms that you're working with. You have these like mechanic, me- like animatronic animal looking creatures that breathe the grunginess, but they have this like attractiveness to them and they're cool. And um, I think I've seen a flea that you've done. Uh, yeah 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 and then um this kraken series and this like octopus looking guy and then on the other side these creatures that are breaking out of these like this keg or this barrel or the spaghetti or this bird and those have like acuteness to them but very deadly at the same time and you're balancing both of these and i it's how are you doing that? How are you able to balance and push both at the same time? Uh, it sort of came out of necessity, actually. I, I there's been a few times where I earned myself out sculpting sculpting shoggoths. Like I love them, but 
but there's a point at which you're just looking at at the Sculpey or the or the Siobhan Clay, and you're like, I can't do another one of these. Um, so having those other things to do was what sort of kept me going because I I just I, I do love doing it, but I don't know. You, there's a point where you start to force it, like you've run out of good ideas and you need to freshen up a bit. Uh, and that was when I started playing with the robot stuff. I don't know if you can really see, but there's a there's yeah. like 32 that are painted up at the weekend. They're just waiting for me to sort through bags of little glowing eyes and stick them in. Um, so I started messing around with, I actually do all these in Tinkercad. Do you know, do you know of Tinkercad? Yeah. Yeah. Like the most basic free bottom rung software because I am cheap. Um, <laughs> but it's great and you can do amazing things with it. So Paul from the Droid Foundry introduced me to it because that's what all his stuff is designed in. And for anyone who doesn't know about it, it's not like you don't start with nodes and, and and shapes and build them up. It's it's more like getting blobs of stuff and just smashing them together. So like building up from cubes and spheres and stuff and just sticking them together, cutting them out. And it's a bit of a slow grow thing so that my first ones were a lot simpler. Like it was, you know, just a couple of like a, a ball with a couple of bits on. But the more you do it, the more you have like this Lego set, this growing set of pieces. So there's like four or five core pieces that's like a curved thing with a little riveted rim. Uh, and there's like, uh, there's, it's basically just a series of those really. Um, and then I can just play with them in different ways. And whenever I get something new, I can take it further. So recently I did this little uh, deep one frog guy. And oh, yeah. I just posted Instagram the other day. And for this, I had webbed feet. And the only reason I had that is because I've made, that I haven't put anywhere yet, a big Loch Ness one. I'm waiting for a bigger printer. And that had fins. And so I could make web toes. Now I've got web toes. I took this and today in my lunchtime, I made a big frog. So it just kind of, it was something that grew a bit more organically. It's something I just wanted to play around with then became a thing. And then when I needed to break from that, I got back into the Shoggoth. So it was just, it's also a matter of, I can only really sculpt here. So I've got my tools. I've got everything in my workshop here. Uh, when I'm at work, I'm not good at just sitting and resting during my lunch. I have to be running around doing a bunch of things and sitting at my desk, making stuff in a browser was a solution to that. <laughs> so yeah. that means I can where I am, I can engage my creativity if I need to. When you're sitting there and you're getting ready to start designing this other droid animal-esque thing, how do you choose the animal? Because you, you're starting to balance where it's like some of them give hints of an animal where you're like taken from it but it's still definitely very different like the frog has glimpses of it but still very much like this droid and so how are you balancing that and how do you pick the animal sort of by accident um so <laughs> for a few of them it has been it has been like a, i want to make this thing so for unit 13 it's the like cthulhu looking one the core of all my stuff is lovecraft um my Dad had this poster on it. I've got it in the corner, actually. I had this poster on, on his wall that was Cthulhu for president. Why vote for a lesser evil? And I remember asking what that meant when I was like seven. And I didn't really get it. But since then, I was just obsessed with this tentacle monster. And, and so I wanted everything to kind of have that vibe. So I decided early on it was every robot I was going to make was going to be some kind of fish or amphibian. Okay. So, you know, it can be if it's an insect, it's going to be like a prawn. It's not going to be like a land bug. And that helps because it focuses it down. Um, but the amount of these things that started off trying to be a lobster, I've still not made a lobster. I was <laughs> just thinking lobster. <laughs> it's in theory, it's so easy, but I also, I don't want them to, I want them to look unnerving, but not aggressive. And as soon as you put claws in, it's like, well, that's going to attack me. You know, that's yeah. an offensive thing. So, I've, you know, I, I sort of hinted at it. So I've got like little ones with little like pincers that look like I collect stuff. 
Um, but yeah, about four or five of these squads started off as a lobster and just didn't get there. A crab as well, I've tried twice, that didn't get there. <laughs> um, I tried a frog three times, two of them didn't work, one of them turned into the deep one. Um, so in theory, <laughs> I think about it first and sit down, and then it almost invariably becomes something else. And a lot of the time, some kind of prawn or sea monkey because it's easy. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming that there is a turtle or tortoise that is on the horizon that you're eventually going to start sculpting. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm definitely handicapping my stuff in this. They all have to have like a purpose. So like, like I said, none of them are aggressive. I'm not going to have any guns or anything. If anything, it's going to be like little hands or claws or like a crane or something. Um, and so that the shtick is that they're all part of this cryptid research network. So they're all going out into the world and trying to find yetis and uh, Loch Ness monsters and Mothman and all this stuff and just collect as much data as they can because that's what the Feral Foundry is about. It's about making the world better with the things in the shadows. Um, so when I'm sculpting something that's also, before I'll put it out, I have to have thought, at least in my head, what is this for? Mm. So like, and I, so that I was, there was going to be a turtle that was meant to, because I've got these tiny ones called plankton. I'm got any, oh yeah, they're, they're like they're tiny. They're like the size of like oh, yeah, thumbnail. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that they just sort of scatter about the world and they become this comms network, so you can just daisy chain data. And so I had this idea of this creature that just goes through the world, just dropping them, <laughs> like a like a you know like a plant dropping seeds. Um, and that started as a tortoise, and then ended up being a puffer fish that will be out in a couple of months when I've got a bigger printer. Um, but yeah, so there's a couple there that I just want to get. It's like a proper squid as well, because I've got like an octopodal one, but it's not quite there. I want to do a squid, I want to do a lobster, and I want to do a turtle. But they've just they've, it always turned into something else. So we'll get there. I'm sure if I decide at one point to do like an eel, it'll become a turtle. <laughs> like it just happens. Because it's, yeah. it's just from playing with the forms. Like I like to, you know, they, they all sort of stack out of each other. And when I've got a shape, I'm like, oh, this looks like this thing instead. Let's go that. So, yeah. When yeah. you, uh, I mean, you, you said uh, you need a bigger printer. So this puffer fish, <laughs> how big are we talking? Yeah. Oh man, it's like it, it's just too big for my printer. But it's like a 140 mil, like 14 centimeters in every dimension. So it's like it's like this. It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty chunky. And this little moon door in the bottom, it's full of, you can see these three plankton just sort of hanging out, ready to be deployed. So it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. But yeah, Holy my uh, buddy of mine is upgrading his own printer. Uh, and so he offered to sell me his old one at a really good rate. So in a couple of weeks, I'm picking it up. And then because it's twice as big as my current printer, it should triple my production, which is a little bit scary because it means I've got more to paint, but that's fine. Yeah. So it's actually the part of the reason I cast everything in colored rubber was because I didn't want to paint anything. I didn't have the confidence to it. I didn't have an airbrush at the time. So it was like, I want to make stuff, but I kind of just want to pull it out of a mold, clean it up, and I'm done. And then it looked a bit planned, so that's why I did them in rubber with the resin eyes. So I get like a two-tone thing. It's got more of the illusion of finishedness. And now I'm spending a couple of days a month just painting stuff because I enjoy it now. So it's funny how things go. And I, I want to talk about your paint skills because you're turning these like... If you, I mean, if you're listening to this, you haven't heard like or seen 3D resin. It's really bland and like a very, it's like a vacant color almost. Like there's something yeah, to it. It's there. Succinct. Uh, yeah, it's the grayest gray. Yeah, and like it's so gray and so dull, but yet there's something so appealing to it. And so it's yeah. like you take that 
and you make these droids look like they've been weathered a little bit. They've got these like, like they look like they're actually being used and they have this metal look. Walk me through that. How'd you learn how to paint like that? I mean, honestly, the, the reason they look like they do is because I'm not super confident in my painting skills. Um, I mean, if you weather and knacker anything, you're going to cover up a load of sins because because like, they've got all these sort of raised edges that really should just be plain metal with the the flat plates being coloured. But like, I don't know, masking and stuff at the rate that I want to be able to produce these because it's not it's not a lot. I'm you know I'm looking at maybe doing a drop of these once every two months, but just it, to get them to the, the quality level I want, it takes a good day's work. Um, and even that, you know, if I, if I was really, really finicky about it, it'd take even longer and that's just not my style. So the, the, the first immediate thing was then I'll make him look knackered. And, uh, once again, Paul from the Droid Foundry put up years ago on Facebook, his method, which is, so you, you paint them a, a matte color, uh, or you get them cast in a matte color and then you, uh, you paint, like you get them wet and you put salt all over them. Um, and now Paul does it in a very clever and imprecise way. I dunk them in a cup of water and then I have an old like chocolate tin I put them in and then I just fill it with salt and then I just sort of brush it off in areas I don't want. And then you leave it in the garden to dry. And the next day, um, you, you do have to have like a spray can or an airbrush, but I airbrush them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I think that's probably the most technical part really because I, I start with a, you know, a base color and then I, I go paler and paler and sometimes I'll put a little bit of UV tint in so that they'll glow under the right light and things. Uh, and then you just... Thursday night, 7 p.m. YouTube Live, it's Toys Alive! Toys Alive! Toys Alive! There's way cool artist unboxing. No it counts under 1,000 followers. What? Art out there for 30 bucks or less. Collector Spotlight. Ooh, Current upcoming shows and drops. Drop. Giveaways. What? Short chats with artists. News from the hood. 100% indie all the time. That's Toys Live. Thursday nights, 7 p.m. PST, YouTube Live. You let that dry and then just go at it with a wet toothbrush. The only thing is you do have to make sure there's no like little salt residue left on it. But then again, if you do, they're marine robots. So whatever. <laughs> salt in the ocean is fine. Um, but yeah, so it was really, I had no confidence in my own skills. So I was like, how can I make these look good and finished with the skills I have? So it was like, I can, all right, I can make them look weathered. I can do a little bit of a gradient and I have access to a vinyl cutter so I can make little stickers to put numbers on them. Uh, and that's that's kind of it. And luckily, it looks really good, <laughs> if I don't say so myself. like it, it came together. And I think the fact that I made them in kind of a... The style that I made them in really helps. There's a lot of ridges. So the salt pools in just the perfect areas where they would sort of rub over each other and stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. it's luck. A lot of this is luck. Anything that stands on two legs, I did no testing. I thought that looked right, and most of them worked out. So it's, there is so much luck in this program. I don't want it to seem like I am some kind of maestro. It's just you try something, and when it works, you do it again. That's, yeah. that's nice. And if it doesn't, just make it work. So, Which is yeah crazy that it always works, right? Like that, that doesn't ha- – I can't tell you how many times I've made a toy, and it just doesn't even balance correctly. So it's like, okay, that's gone. Let's get rid of it. There are some fails. There are some fails. I've had one robot that didn't stand up, but honestly, it was way too flimsy anyway. Because actually, some of my first wave, I had to I had to give out some refunds for some of the mollusk ones, just because they had these really fine tip tentacles. And I thought, right, I can deal with this. 
I'm going to, because I cast those instead, the rest of them are printed, but I cast those. So it's like, okay, they're in resins, they're already stronger. And I'm going to put this brass rod inside the tentacle and it'll reinforce it. And in half of them, it did. And in half of them, it introduced a new weakness into it. So they cracked along that line and just broke. And it was gutting. Everyone was so cool about it. And, you know, I, I, I took care, taking care of customers is like number one thing. Um, but then from that, I've learned. And now, like, I've, I've got another variant on the mollusk that's got really chunky tentacles that won't break. Yeah. Um, I've reinforced the joints and everything else. So, you know, and everyone was so cool about it because I, I was so, you know, it's, people pay good money for this stuff. And I want them to think that I'm trying to rip them off. You know, I, I so after half of them shipped, I, I spoke to the other people who bought the mollusks and I was like, this might come broken. How can I take care of you? Uh, and I did. And now in the next wave, that shouldn't happen again. But you know, it's it's so there are still some rocky bits. It does it doesn't always go perfectly. But I think as long as you're willing to own it up and not be like you know not dismiss it, this is a problem. And people's money is worthwhile. That's the hot you know. If if people are going to invest money in them in in me, I should respect them. Right. Um, and the process becomes better because of it. So yeah, but I am very lucky when it just works. <laughs> That's <laughs> been you, luckily very few things that didn't. Uh with the ones that didn't um that didn't balance correctly. Cause like uh you are with um man, I'm trying to think. It looks like a mantis shrimp almost. And that's I think it's part part of the project Kraken one. Yeah. And uh... it yep. And the way that it is structured, it all balances on like a specific point but then hangs over that and yeah, you're, pure you're yeah you're telling me <laughs> pure luck but that thing is like mathematically proportional <laughs> well i think I, i'd like to say there's a bit of an educated guess in there like when you when you've cast something when you cast stuff for other people for seven years you see a lot of wacky stuff you see a lot of you just sort of get a natural sense of where a center of gravity is uh, and then I don't always get it right, but mostly I do. And I, I like I say it's look. I think there probably is some innate knowledge in there. Yeah. Like you can look, but yeah, no. The, the best thing um, a mate who I collaborate with sometimes slip. So he spoke to me recently. I gave one of them uh, these to him for his birthday, and he said, "My favorite thing about them is they look like they should fall over, but they don't." So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I think the the bruteness of them. Um, and then the fact that they work is just incredible. As you're sculpting these, and how did you settle on only amphibious or only like oceanic creatures? What made you settle? Because like the reality, like you could turn anything robotic, right? Like depending on how you want to go, what made you settle down on those alone? So, uh, I think it comes back to the Lovecraft thing. I absolutely love the work of H.P. Lovecraft, and he had some real issues about the ocean. Like, every for everything that is a cosmic horror from beyond the, the realm, there's always fish <laughs> and weird octopuses in Cthulhu. Like, it all comes back to that. And I think it's just because it's the most alien thing. Like, mammals are all sort of the same, right? Even birds are kind of similar. But then you get, like, insects and sea creatures and if they came from another planet, if, if if scientists came out and be like, oh, yeah, we just discovered all fish and octopuses come from Venus. They just came a million years ago. I'd be like, right, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> they're just so out there um, and different. And I think they just, there's something about the, because they have to be, um, what was it, fluorodynamic or whatever. They just have a really nice way to them. There's always like a, a sine wave in there or like a, a, a just the, the way they look 
and the way they curve and things. And I think I, I combining that idea with these chunky things with smokestacks and all this stuff just feels so right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I did. I, it was just when I started making them, I was just these are all going to be aquatic in some way. It, it just was. It just felt like the right decision. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. The they, ocean they just is, are. <laughs> yeah, the ocean is super scary. I live near the ocean. Um, it's always funny watching tourists go in and freaking out. Like <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Like we, I just took a bunch of middle schoolers to the ocean and we like, there's like sharks swimming around us, but they're a type of shark. That's not going to eat us. It, like, right. Yeah. And so it's like, but if you're a tourist, that's a panic moment. Like you're running, yeah. but everyone else is like, no, no, you can touch them. You can pet them and stuff. But um, it makes me think like all ancient cultures um in the ancient near east believed that evil came from the water evil or like scaredness is over that and so it's so crazy that uh lovecraft would like have this idea of fish or whatever just playing this weird evilness around um but yeah it, it like when i look at uh yours that have been created again it comes back to that there could be evil there if there was some like crazy guns on them but instead, they're just here for data collection. They don't really care about you. And so in the back of my mind, I don't think I'm ever going to get to this because I don't think it matters, but there's like a, there's more of a story there that I will probably never get to. Mm-hmm. And there is supposed to be some sort of underlying malevolence. So like so, so like I said, the story is this, this uh, old, old money family, like you get in the UK, they have these big yeah. old houses and most of them are like public tourist spots now, but you know, like old lords and ladies who come from really old money. Um, and so this guy, his great great grandfather owned a radiator factory that sold all the radiators in the UK up until like the 1800s, and then they they sort of stopped. And at the same time, this explorer in the Arctic finds this shogoth and he buys it because he thinks that this could bring the feral fortune back. And he starts researching it and trying to make new things. And so from one angle, you've got this sort of mad scientist lord who believes he's doing the right thing by getting this untold knowledge and putting it in the hands of humanity assuming that these shoggoths are stupid creatures and then on the other hand you've got these ancient beings who could be whatever they want who are playing along (laughs) so part of it and in like the flavor text for the the big cthulhu one it's like they they were tasked with making an ambassador and they made this horrid thing and they're not supposed to have gone out yet but they're all knackered and damp and rusty and where are they going and so there's this sort of little underlying beat i was trying to put in this little sort of and like i said i never got to it because there wasn't really much of a point i kind of wish i had a platform to do that but i I wanted to put this emerging story in and maybe we'll get there eventually i've only been doing this a couple of years um but yeah so that i might explore that a bit more later but this is sort of yeah so this is these these creatures that were meant to be kept under lock and key while we researched them Let's just let them out for a bit in the form of like a because they're meant to be more like mechs. So like in each one of these, there is a tiny little shoggoth controlling it. It is, you know, like the CPU of the thing. Uh and although that, you know, they've suddenly decided that it might be sensible to let them out, but maybe it's not. So there is sort of this underlying malignance there that, you know, what do they actually want to do? <laughs> why, yeah. why are they playing along? So um, but yeah, it's it's also entirely possible. I'm just thinking way too hard about the things that I'm not doing <laughs> but, uh, i don't know i like the idea that it all follows this narrative at least in my head so i would yeah. watch a 
two hour short film on like these creatures coming out of the water and like taking over and stuff, even if there was no talking, even if you just watched them like go, I would watch that so much or like read a comic book where it's just like these creatures being dropped off by that puffer fish and just all of a sudden it just clicks and beeps. That's all you hear. I like so much. I would. Yeah. So if you ever get into movie creating or animation again, <laughs> well, if I do that, you'll get, uh, I'll give you an executive producer credit for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, so I always have to ask because when we find when toys on tap, like we interview so many artists and then when we find artists that have settled in and really honed their craft and have decided that like you have found your niche, you have found your style. So here's the hard question. Like we know the puffer fish is coming. What's next? Um, okay. So the most immediate thing is the shock box. So I have the quite high-end toy, at least for me, high-end toys of the robots. Mm-hmm. I've got the mid-range stuff, which all my stuff's like between 15 and 30 pounds. So I, I just want to make sure it's affordable. It doesn't cost me that much to make, and I'd rather make sure people can have it. So I'm taking that to its extreme, and I'm making uh, these little blind boxes. So I've got eight little unique sculpts. Uh, they're simpler than my other ones, so they don't have like the separate eyes, but they all glow in the dark or change color when you hold them or something like that. Uh, and they're fun little sculpts. They're going back sort of to the origin of what I originally thought about doing, which is like the mini boggling stuff. So these little just rubber sculpts, as much detail as you want. Each one's sort of got a theme. So there's one that's got too many eyes. There's one that's got a couple of noses. There's one that's a punk, uh, stuff like that. And I'm still thinking about the the actual business model of it. But right now, I think it's just going to be uh, you pay a couple of quid, you get a few in a box, and you can collect them all. So, yeah. which also is into been doing a bunch of uh, markets. Well, a bunch. I've done two markets <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> and, um, uh, it's, uh, it's called the Satanic Flea Market. It's in London. It's awesome. Big alternative thing. Um, and part of my booth is I've got this prize wheel. Um, and you pay me a quid, you spin it. You could get a tiny little sculpt or a sticker or a postcard. If you get the one out of 20, you could win the grand prize, which is, you know, a, a slightly bigger thing. Uh, and people love that. So not only does it mean that people can actually, it, it's a, it's an easier entry point to my stuff because it's cheap and there's only eight of them to collect. Um, but also it kind of has that uh, wild card element. People really love spinning the wheel. Like people would spin the wheel and then be like, oh, what are the prizes, by the way? <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't care about what they're winning. They just wanted to spin the wheel and something like primal inside them. Um, so that's the next thing. Uh, and then I've got a couple more uh, Shoggoths coming out. I've got a new drop from the robots soon. Hopefully, actually, the next one, at least part of it's going to go through the Isle of Misfit Toys, which is great because it just means that it's a much wider audience and it means that postage is cheaper for everyone in the US who are 90% of my customers anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's it for now. I, I can't do too much because I'm getting married at the end of September. So that Congrats. takes a lot of time. Thank you. Um, and it's kind of hard to think of anything beyond that point because it's this big build up to it. But uh, yeah, after that, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of other little projects that I've been working on and I, I actually was thinking, uh, because I, like I said, I do all my, my 3D sculpting on Tinkercad. With a little bit more, I'm, I'm, I've started to use a tablet, so my, the, the skull pins I put out recently were all 3D sculpted, but, you know, they're simple. Um, I'm going to invest in getting a new computer for the first time in eight years. Um, 
mostly to play Overwatch, but also for the business. Um, and then I want to get back into the 3D things a bit more, get probably something like Maya. Uh, and not only will that let me make sculpts with slightly higher fidelity and fewer issues, because there are some like internal issues that I need to like plug, because Tinkercad is still pretty primitive and it works, but it's slow. Um, and the idea then is maybe making some with like slightly articulated arms with magnets and stuff. Uh, and if I've done that, then I could animate them. Because, you know, animating a robot, rigging a robot is so much easier than rigging, like, an organic life form. Because you don't yeah. have flow, you don't have... It's just, like, piston move, piston move. So, maybe that, eventually. But, I don't know, too many projects. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not gonna put too much stake in that. But, yeah, I've still got a list of uh, sculpts to do as well. I've been trying to get a mushroom Shoggoth right for uh, probably the best part of a year now. But that was the one that didn't stand up. It yeah. just, it was too, I did a hard body and like a soft rubber cap. So it was too colored and it looked okay, but it immediately fell over and face planted. So scratched it, put you back to the drawing board. Um, it's also actually one that I really, sorry, this trade of consciousness has just gone all over the place now. You asked me a very simple question. Something I want to do uh, is an idea I've had for a Halloween themed Shoggoth and I've had it for two years now. I've, already, I've done two others. I've done a Jack the Man, which is a pumpkin. And I've done... Uh, gravestone, grave omen. Um, I just I like because it lets me push, you know, a, a more of a specific theme that, than I normally do. Um, but I want to do a Frankenstein's monster. So the idea is I'd sculpt the thing and then actually cut it up, put little sutures in, and then cast each part in a different colored rubber and bring them back together. So each sculpt will have like different colored Frankenstein's monster parts stitched together. And I want to do that. I'm yeah. going to try and time next month to do that because. It's a cool idea, and it, it can it, because because the sort of the method is the is the design. The design itself can just be like a shoggoth with a flat top looking angry. So, yeah. Mm. So two things in the answer to your question. I've got too many things on the horizon, but yeah, it's too fun. Good. So <laughs> I have a couple questions for you. As you were talking, um, things started like filing in my head. Um, one, your work is extremely cheap, um, <laughs> like in comparison to what people sell work for you make yours extremely affordable and then do it under the guise of you just want your art out there what yeah. is is there a reason behind that like you just really want people to own your stuff or what is what's the the underlying thing there sure uh initially it was a uh, lack of confidence I, I had no reason to believe that anyone would want my work so putting it at a reasonable price point meant that people were more likely to almost like a gamble you know i don't, I don't know how yeah. good this is going to be but this amount it also kind of if some stuff isn't quite perfect so you know sometimes i'll lose a tentacle and i'll have to just round it off and you wouldn't know but i know but because it's only 30 quid no one will know it, you know it doesn't have to match this pristine model was kind of the thought um, and as time's gone on, it's just because I, I can afford to. Um, I don't sell that many. Like, I, you know, the, the robots always sell out. The shoggoths always sell enough to make it worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they usually take a year or so to, to sell out, which is kind of the advantage of just having it there in the background. It sort of becomes a passive income of just stock. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just like the idea that people could just bimble over to my Etsy, see something and be like, that's that's all right. That's cool. I'll buy that. That's really affordable. And I've had some people who were like, wait, what does it cost? Yeah, give me three of them. Um, and I'd kind of rather have that than outprice 
I probably, I, I potentially could charge more. Um, but to me, that's probably what these are worth. I make them cheaply. They're not painted. They're not, you know, they're a very specific thing for a niche market. And I want that niche market who want my stuff to be able to justify it. I think it's also partly because um, with most of the toy market being in the US, postage is pretty killer. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it, 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 this way you'll get people like, I've had a number of people be like, I'm going to wait and then get like $200 worth of stuff and then send it over. And for me, that's great because that's just, you know, one, all in one go. Um, it's it's just good. And, it, you know, I don't have to pack a load of million things. I don't know, it just, yeah. So it started with lack of confidence and it ended up just the model works for me. But now I do have more stuff like, you know, like these are like 75 to 100 quid. Uh, my general line is 15 to 30 and this new line is going to be like 5 to 10. So I just, I like to be able to, I, I, I just want, to be an artist that's kind of it <laughs> and while people are buying my stuff that justifies the way i live um and at the price points i i, I do make good money like the margins are good it really doesn't cost me very much like I, I you know i've been casting long enough that although it is an expense um i don't waste that much there are some sculpts that do like hive mind went wrong so many times uh and i just about made the money back on that <laughs> but most of the stuff like it doesn't cost that much it works first time uh i know that if they don't sell right away they probably will at a market or like six months down the line so it's you know it's it's good um they're priced to move basically and yeah, and yeah i just like the idea that someone has my stuff in their house and it's worth their money even if it's not you know a lot of money it's just it's, it's nice to me yeah and that's uh, i think this which goes into the second question the U.S. is a collector culture. I don't yeah. care what anyone says. The U.S. I don't know what we're, what dark secrets we're trying to bury by collecting everything. <laughs> but we all do it now, and uh, I think that like the progression of all kinds of things, like Beanie Babies and Tamagotchi and like Furbies, like we have all done this in for the last however many years. Um. If this is your main uh, market area, have you noticed that there's not that many either collectors or not that many makers where you're at? Yeah, well, they are out there, um, but they're fewer and far between. I think the market over here is more for like nostalgic stuff. Yeah. I know there's a big, big side of that in the US. Like the bootleg market wouldn't exist without nostalgia for these things that are being recreated and, you know, I know that the whole goal is that they become more than what they were, and that's amazing. But mm. that initial interest, I don't think, would be there if it wasn't for the nostalgia with which they're based on, you know? Um, and over here, that's a bit more exact. So you have a lot of... I mean, this is from my very, very... I, I don't want to say this is fact. From my experience. Um, so you'll get people who are really into, like, Monster in My Pocket or uh, Muscle or Mini Boglins or, like, I don't know, Matchbox Cars or something. But not new stuff as much like it's stuff they need to know exists and is is proper and correct and they'll they'll take yeah. that there are people out there i've got a few regulars in the country who love my stuff you know they'll, they'll rotate routinely buy one of everything they'll ask what's coming out soon and they are wonderful people but they are not the norm um and i don't know why that is i don't know why that is but it's, it's definitely more of like a collecting nostalgic stuff than new art and i really don't know what that's about there are people out there but I think I think it's maybe because there's more, there's just more division between people who are nostalgic for old toys and art, and I think there's still a little bit of um, maybe pretentiousness in it. That's like 
if this is a toy, this can't be art. This is a toy. You put your toys over there. This piece of crap with a essay about why it's an oak tree is art. That can stay over there. There's no in between. And it's unnecessary. Um, but I, I kind of feel like that's still there. Uh, not, well, not not everywhere. And there are some really understanding people. And it might just be that I have not encountered them yet. Because there is stuff like ToyCon. There are definitely people out here. Mm-hmm. Um, annoyingly, ToyCon. Is it ToyCon? There's, there's one that's in London as well. It's not far from where I work. Um, but it's at the same weekend that I LARP every year. So I've not been. <laughs> but um, maybe if I went to that, my view would be completely different. But it's, yeah, it's just not as um, it's not as widespread. And I think I think we've just not all found each other yet. Yeah. I think maybe it's a different kind of a different kind of artist as well. I don't know, maybe I'm talking to my ass now. But I don't know, it's just it's different. It is different. Whereas in, in in America it's like this is cool, I want it. Let's get it. Are there other things like it? What else do you make? Blah 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 blah. Whereas here the people who like my stuff are like, I I like this one thing and I'm done now. Goodbye. Yeah. And that's fine. <laughs> I think it's yeah. tough too when we think about um like the U.S. is massive in comparison yeah. to like if I need to get something to New York. Yeah, that's a massive area, but it's still one country. Like I know a lot of artists that are over there in Europe, but they're all spread. Like you got some all the way down in Spain, some in England, some in Ireland. Like, and so those are all just different countries, and it makes it difficult to get to know each other, even though you guys are relatively close. It's also harder than it used to be because right before I started doing this, uh, Brexit happened. So yeah. that made everything hard because it used to be the EU is great. And anyone free, tra- free trade and exchange of ideas is always a good thing. And my country is stupid. But we left, we left the EU and now there's hard borders all over the place. And so like I said, my, my fiance is an illustrator. She sells prints and services. And we both had to stop our Etsy store selling to uh, Germany and France because they put in new laws that mean you have to have a certain, not, they're, they're different things, but one of them was you have to have a certain stamp on your packaging to certify that it is a certain kind of packaging. And to apply for this, you just go on their website and apply. But if you are not a VAT registered business, you can't do it. And to register for VAT, you need to make 20 grand a year, which we don't offer VAR up. Um, so we just can't sell her anymore because I can't be sure that my package will get there. I've had people being like, oh, can you send something to France? I'm like, I'd love to, but I don't want to take your money and then have this thing just disappear into the ether. And that's made everything hard. I, I think, yeah, I think I think places getting smaller and more far apart is a bad thing. Um, but, you know, because actually I did when I first started, I had quite a few customers in Italy and the Netherlands. Um, and I don't know what happened to that. <laughs> they, just, they just went away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think as much as as much as there's a lot of division everywhere, I think the United States of America is the United States of America. It's one landmass. It's all you know very interchangeable things, and it's much easier to trade. Whereas even in this country, there's a lot of there's a huge divide between the north and the south about mm-hmm. the pronunciation of the word bath and stuff like that. So it's just there's always things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's just everything feels further apart over here, and I think that does stop stuff like this. And yeah. the communities are all local than vast. I think that's probably easier over there because it's easier to get to like the next state or something. Whereas mm-hmm. over here, I don't know, you know, there's like one road that goes from the north to the south. Um, yeah, the- it takes like two hours to get to the next state over from where I'm at. And then wow. uh, three hours to get to the state above that one. 
Like it's like they're all relatively close. And so um, even like we do designer con in Anaheim, which is uh, two hours north of me. Um, there are people that come in from like Arizona, the next state over because it's so close and they'll like drive over and have their stuff there, which is really cool. Yeah, man. That's yeah. I mean, maybe if I drove, I'd, I'd feel differently. But like, I, like there's a, there's one up in Leeds, and I I keep meaning to go to. Um, it's in like September, I think, and I'm not going this year because it's, it's right on my wedding. Um, but like Leeds is my hometown. I'd go there and have somewhere to stay. But it's a five hour journey, and I, with work and everything, it's just not as doable. I don't, I don't know why. I think just you know vast distances. But yeah, I think there is one, and it is growing. But I think we're still years behind. Especially because stuff like um, we do have, like, like you guys have got like Smooth On over there, and we've got Bentleys who are the, the British arm of, of Smooth On, but they're in one place, and I think they sometimes struggle to produce to the whole country. And I think you guys have just had these supplies way longer, so this scene is probably a little bit older. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it's also I think I think before our generation there weren't as many people who would go off and do art like this and if they were they'd get poached by like film studios and stuff you know the yeah. few people and things whereas it's only now that like this is becoming more of a thing and i think once again i think probably britain is a little bit behind in terms of the going out there and doing the art thing than at least in terms of independence i think because everyone's a bit skin <laughs> yeah um yeah man it, it's so crazy to think about um the toy scene and how it is in different countries uh mm. and just how like the spreading of it um looking at even where this podcast is listened to and the different countries that you didn't even think like i don't even think that they would have a toy scene but people are like no we want we want this and we want to listen to it which is cool but um just seeing that like I always bring up like Iran. We have uh man, I can never pronounce his name. It's like B Boro Brigard. Um, but like working to get his art over here and like how crazy that was, or people in Argentina getting up to the US and stuff. And um, it's just crazy to see how it's spreading more and more every day. Yeah. And I think more art is more good, honestly. I think it, anyone who can who can just let it all out in a creative way and make something new is always a good thing. Even if, even if you're not very good at it, if you're doing it and it makes you happy, do it. It's great. And I think the more places that can do that, the better, because it's just such a, an inclusive thing. I mean, you do get in this community still, there are some people who are assholes, but mostly it's such a nice group of people and it's so refreshing from like other stuff. Like I'm really into, um, I just got into Warhammer mm-hmm. and I love the game. I've been playing with my brothers, but a lot of the internet, are so miserable about it and it's like this is what you do for fun why are you so miserable about like these weird rule clarifications or oh we got a new model and i don't like it what's wrong with you yeah. and then you go to the toilet it's like i made this thing it's dope like, yeah it is yeah let's <laughs> get excited about that awesome no it's so refreshing um i think that's the thing that keeps you coming back to it sometimes I, I you know like i said i get burned out as, as you do with anything um and then you'll just get one customer who's like i really love this stuff are you doing anything more yeah yeah yeah, i am yeah (laughs) well dude it was so good to have you on the podcast today i like uh making it work uh my left early this morning my wife was like where are you going i was like oh i got i got an interview that i'm real pumped about so i'm i'm going in (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much, man. I hope I didn't waffle too much. I always, I always think that I'm talking for far longer than I needed to be. No, 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 no. That's perfect for podcasting. Um, <laughs> but for the last part, uh, we do this with every artist. It's my favorite. Please plug all the ways that we can get your art, how we can get interact with you, all those things. Awesome. Best place to follow me is on Instagram. Uh, it cross posts to Facebook, but I don't really interact with Facebook just because the way it works. But yeah, uh, get me on Instagram, the underscore feral underscore foundry. It's a mouthful, but it's worth it. Um, all my stuff gets posted there, work in progress stuff. Um, if you want to buy any of my stuff, go to the feralfoundry.com. It'll uh, link you straight to my Etsy store. Uh, if you see something in there that you that is sold out or in a different colorway, just send me a message and I'll try and make it. Uh, and just... If you like my stuff and have ever supported me at all, thank you so much because you made this possible. So thank you. Dude, thank you again so much. Thank you, man. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers, dude.